Welcome to the Coventry Vineyard Podcast. Wherever and whenever you're listening, we hope you're blessed by this message. If you want to find out more about our church or speak with someone about Jesus, head to coventryvineyard.org. You see, Jesus wants you to experience joy. And joy is different to happiness. So what makes you happy? For me, if I'm driving, a green light makes me happy. If I'm driving to church or anywhere, it's like, yes, a green light. And then there's another one. It's like another green light. It's like, oh, another, oh, this is a happy day. I've got lots and lots of green lights because I don't have to stop. But what would make you truly happy? Maybe it's more money. Maybe it's more power and influence. Maybe it's more time. Maybe it's more stability. Maybe it's better health, a better job, a better house, a better partner, a better car. It could be a better whatever. What makes you happy? What would you need to acquire to make you truly happy? But then how long until that stops making you happy? So you'd kind of need an infinite supply of whatever it is to bring happiness for a lifetime. Because the thing about happiness is it can be controlled and manipulative, and it's really dependent on our circumstances. It's dependent on something as simple as a green light. Joy is different. It can be a form of happiness, but joy is really that kind of pervasive and constant sense of well-being. It's hope in the goodness of God. It's, it's knowing that his presence is truly with you. If I think about joy and what brings me joy, it's being here on a Sunday morning with my church family. I might not always demonstrate that to people because there's a lot going on in the, mo- in the morning. And maybe that's what part of the problem in, in my own life that I need to demonstrate when I'm with family, when I'm with friends, that I'm actually truly joyful to be there with them rather than just getting on and all the stuff. Maybe you have the same issue. What brings me joy is moments like this, and I think we talked about it with the kids earlier. So this was last winter. Um, we went to Anglesey, and the sun was just setting. You've got some of the hills on the Hlyn Peninsula in the distance, and... I just sat there for like half an hour, just enjoying that moment and sensing God's presence in that moment. Have you ever met someone who always seems joyful? Somebody who isn't just happy, but there's something about them. You want to be with them more often because they seem so joyful. There was a guy I knew when I was a teenager called George, and he was, um, he used to work at a petrol station. He'd done all these other jobs, but in his later years, he worked at a petrol station, and he was always joyful at like four, five, six in the morning when people used to come and fill up their cars on the way to work. He'd be there with this joyful um, attitude, and people would ask, why are you so joyful every morning at this time in the morning? Why are you so joyful? And he'd go, Actually, I'm here with God. I'm here with Jesus. Jesus makes me joyful. It was an opportunity to share his joy 
with other people. See, joy is not dependent on our circumstances. We can still find joy when life is tough. I don't know if you know any kind of really um, key athletes, but one of the things about athletes is that they can have a quick recovery time, which makes them really good athletes. They do a, a big race, and then they have a quick recovery time so that then they can do another race, which makes them kind of elite athletes. What if we were able to train ourselves that when there's fear or anger or disgust or shame or sadness or hopelessness, we had a quick recovery time to return to joy? And that's the reason why I'm looking at this whole series of you know, returning to joy. That when there's, there's bad news, that we have the good news of who Jesus is, the source of our joy, running through our lives that we can recover when there's tough times because fear and anger and sadness are not the ruling narratives in our lives. There's a different narrative that is truly good news. What if we could really become joy-filled people? So today I'm looking at Jesus as the source of our joy, that his gospel brings joy, that he is truly good news, but we're talking in a, in a, a culture where approximately 90% of all our media news is bad news. I don't know if you've ever been aware of that. So much of our, our news is, is, is bad news that 95% of our media headlines are sensational stories. They make things bigger than they really are. One news website did an experiment and they decided to publish only good news stories for a day. And the result was that they lost 66% of their readers in a day. Around 26% of people are exposed, that are exposed to negative news go on to develop anxiety. So the news around us makes us more fearful and anxious. The problem is people are 50% chance more, 50% more likely to read something negative than positive. But we've got this good news that we share. See, good news always tends to spread. Every authentic experience of truth and goodness seeks by its very nature to kind of grow within us. We were at a, a wedding yesterday um, of Beth, who used to be um, one of our worship leaders here. So Beth and Dan got married uh, yesterday. And it was a truly joyful experience. And we want to share those good news moments. So what I want to do is I want to look at joy through the Bible and look at good news. And but also recognize that we've got these multiple sources of bad news which come at us, which numb our, our capacity to experience real joy. So we're in a battle. We've got all these different voices coming at us. I want to come back to the good news. So we've got all this bad news at us. But then also, we're in a culture where we're constantly being encouraged to seek happiness and pleasure. We've got these multiple sources of pleasure, which can also numb our capacity to experience real joy, that we're just entertained all the time. And we've got these wonderful things that are always there with us called screens, and we're constantly looking at our screens to give us more and more good news or bad news. And that becomes our ruling narrative of how we rule our lives, rather than what's 
in here and our capacity to experience and encounter the real Jesus. See, I would hope that when we did that exercise at the beginning, that you saw something of the joy in Jesus' face. When in our imagination, he sat down in front of you, that he is the source of your joy. And so as a pastor, I want to equip all of us to have that on a regular basis, not wait till a Sunday morning, but on a regular basis, maybe regular times throughout the day, that when things are difficult, we can stop and we can pause and we can experience the joy of who Jesus is. Pope Francis wrote a book called, uh, I think it's called The Joy of the Gospel. And he said, the great danger in today's world, pervaded as it is by consumerism, is the desolation and anguish born of a complacent yet covetous heart, the feverish pursuit of frivolous pleasures and a blunted conscience. And he says there's so much going on around us that we don't experience true joy and we don't become ambassadors of the real gospel that we're going around as Christians, as followers of Jesus, incredibly miserable, and nobody actually knows that we're joy-filled people. And people should notice. I don't want that to be a guilt thing, but people should notice when you spent time with Jesus. Okay, so let's look at the, the good news of joy throughout the Scripture. And it's going to be quite a, um, uh, a quick thing. So what I'm saying, suggesting is there's a, a thread of joy all the way through the biblical narrative. And it starts right at Genesis 1, where God looks at the world around him, the world that he's made, and sees it was very good. Then God takes a whole day to gaze at creation and joyfully celebrate all that he's made. In Job 38, I think we even sang a little bit about this right at the beginning today. In Job 38, we read that at the moment of creation, the stars sang and angels responded with shouts of joy. It was very good. And then later in the, in the law, where the people of God are commanded to celebrate, to party with joy because of all that God has done. And there was a promise that as they lived in obedience as they lived in you know, God's way of life, that their joy would be complete. There's a relationship between living as God intended and living a joy-filled life. And then later, the prophet Isaiah sees a time when joy will be gone in the land. As the people turn away from God, that as that relationship is broken, that joy would be eroded but then sees this great promise of the coming messiah and a time when in isaiah 35 that those the lord has rescued will return they will enter zion with singing everlasting joy will crown their heads gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away and then jeremiah his god declare i will turn their mourning into gladness i will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow and so all the way through into the Old Testament, you've got people like Zephaniah talking about how God rejoices over you with singing. But as that relationship between humans and God breaks down, that joy is missing. I don't know about you, but I find that if I'm far from God, I'm less joyful. 
and the news around me and all the bad stuff starts to become my ruling narrative. And then so at the end of the Old Testament, all goes quiet, all goes dark. Joy is gone from the land as people have turned away from God until we read about a great outpouring of joy in the Christmas accounts. If you ever read the book of Luke and just looked for signs of, of joy, right at the beginning in, in uh, Luke 1 and 2, there was so much joy. The gospel of joy is born into a world that was difficult. It was sullen. It was without purpose. And the, the kind of the ruling narrative of the day didn't look to produce a joyful life. So the joy of Christianity, the joy of following Jesus, is a radical t- departure from the, the, the spirit of the age. And each of the four Gospels radiate with joy. But I would suggest that, that, that Luke is probably the most joyful out of all of them. He's talking about the story of salvation. And it starts in Luke 1, how when they're talking about John the baptizer, he will be a joy and a delight to his parents. That as soon as the sound of um, Mary's greeting to Elizabeth, that the baby John in the womb leapt for joy. That Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, how she'd conceived in her old age, and that they shared her joy. So even in the very chapter 1, there is so much joy. And then Mary herself sings out loud. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, in Luke 1, 47. And then you've got the, the shepherds on the hill and in Luke, te- Luke 2. And the angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths. And they said, when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. This is Luke 2, 17. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They come out with, with, with joy, sharing the good news of what they'd seen. And so again and again through Luke's gospel, there's, there's joy. Luke... Um, tells a a parable that that Jesus told of those who hear the good news of the kingdom. They hear the gospel in Luke 8, 13. It says, says, um, but some of those that hear are like rocky ground, that they receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root, and they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. There's a relationship between faith and joy, that they might receive the gospel, but as life crowds in around them, their faith crumbles. Pope Francis again says this, says, whenever our interior life becomes caught up in its own interests and concerns, there is no longer room for others, no place for the poor, God's voice is no longer heard. The quiet joy of his love is no longer felt. And the desire to do good fades. This is a very real danger for believers too. Many fall prey to it and end up resentful, angry, and listless. And I wonder how many of us, the the worries of life and the tests of life, have actually crowded out the joy of the gospel. So next week we're going to be talking about 
killjoys and those things that actually kill the joy inside of us and what we can actually do about it. I was reminded as I was looking at the joy that you find in Luke, that in Matthew, he has Jesus tell this parable of this hidden treasure and a pearl. So in Matthew 13, uh, verse 44, it talks about the kingdom of heaven. It's like this treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, he hides it again. And then what? In his joy, went and sold all he had and brought, bought the field. But the kingdom of heaven is also like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. There's something about joy and the gospel that they're intimately connected. And then in Luke 10, we, we have Jesus sending out the, the disciples ahead of him to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, to demonstrate the kingdom, to bring healing, to bring deliverance, to talk about the kingdom, but not just to talk about it, but demonstrate the power of the kingdom. And then in Luke 10, verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And then Jesus says in verse 20, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then later on, it says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. For this is what you were pleased to do. The thing about Jesus is it was a pleasure and it was a joy to be in his presence. All the time. It seemed like he was constantly being with people. And all the way through Luke, he's either going to a meal, at a meal, or going from a meal. It just seems like he's constantly feasting with all the wrong people. And so in Luke 15, it says how the tax collectors and the sinners are all gathering around to hear joy, to hear Jesus, because it's a joy to be with him. But the religious people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, mutter and says, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus tells them three stories. He talks about a lost sheep, that when the shepherd finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. And Jesus says, I tell you in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And then he tells another story about a lost coin. And when the woman finds the coin, she says, rejoice with me. She gets all her neighbors around. I found my lost coin. And Jesus says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then the third story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 is the story of the lost son. That he takes half of his father's uh, inheritance, goes off, wastes it all. And then it says in verse 17 of Luke 15, when he comes to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I'm here starving to to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your slaves. So he gets gets up and goes home. But his father sees him, he runs to him, he embraces him, and he starts to say his, his line, says, you know, I've sinned against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father doesn't let him finish. He doesn't let him come back as a slave or a servant. 
He says, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it, let's have a feast and celebrate. There is joy in that house because this person that wasted everything comes back. And of course, the older brother, who's the religious leaders, starts muttering, and his attitude is one of, of slavery. And he's grumpy, and he's, he's, he's put out, and he says, um, I've been, in verse 29 of Luke 15, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, who has squandered your property, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And the father says, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate. We had to be glad. We had to be joyful because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. And that's the gospel right there and there, then, in that little story. That's why whenever we're doing journey groups, we always start with that story. If I'm having a conversation with anybody about who Jesus is, I always start there. It's the most profound story. But it's so real that God wants people back in his home, around the table, feasting with him. At the end of Luke, when people see Jesus, there's amazement and joy and they worship him and they return to Jerusalem with great joy. I haven't got time to go through John today. Maybe we'll do that next week. But maybe, maybe for your homework for this week, you might want to read John 15, 16, and 17 and just pick out that theme of joy and what does it mean to have complete joy that's overflowing in you. So this theme of joy goes all the way through. And then you get to the church of Jesus. So in Acts, they ate with glad and generous hearts. There was great joy in the church. They were filled with joy in Acts 13. In 1 Corinthians 8, 2, it says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That although this church didn't have a lot of money, that they were poor, their joy caused them to be incredibly generous. So there's this stream of joy running through the Bible. And why shouldn't we enter into this great stream of joy to plunge in and be people that deliver the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done? That the narrative around us doesn't have the final say. There's a way of life available to us now, not just in heaven when we die, but there's a way of life now which is available to us and to everybody around us that will bring great joy. See, joy is linked with salvation. This is a gospel of salvation, of saving, of liberating, of deliverance. And joy is cent central to our lives of following Jesus. What if we started to live lives of joy in our places of work, 
in our schools, in our families, in our neighborhoods. I've been challenged recently about how, I mean, our three kids have kind of, they're not kids anymore, they're, they're adults, they've left home. And thinking, have we instilled the knowledge in them that they know who they are? Now, if you're a parent, one of the greatest things you can do is instill joy in your child's lives. That they know who they are in themselves, but also who they are in God. That they know what Jesus sees when he sits down in front of them and looks at them. That there's a narrative that they are invited into. That when they experience fear and sadness and hopelessness and shame, that they are quick to recover and return to a place of joy because as parents, we have instilled in them what we see in them and that we are so proud of them and so pleased with them. That our joy infects them in a healthy and good way. So if I land this, what if when you come to a red light this week, rather than going, oh, I've got a red light, I'm going to have to stop. What if you saw that red light differently? And not just the red light, and that's just a simple expression. Whatever difficulty you're going through, whatever trouble you're going through, whatever that might bring hopelessness into your life, what if you saw that as an opportunity to stop, recognize that for what it is. Recognize and say, God, I am angry right now. Help me to return to joy. God, I'm sad right now. I'm feeling hopeless. I need to return to joy. And that's what the Psalms are all about. Again and again, it talks about, this is what's happening in my life, God. And David and the other Psalms are ranting at God. And they say, yet, I will come back to be in your presence. So what if a red light is a moment for you just to stop and pause and pray something like Romans 15, which says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't recommend that you write that on your windscreen or anything there, but maybe underneath your um, sun visor or something, red light, Flip it down. Don't focus on too much because it might change. You need to be moving. Nobody wants to be beeped at. Um, what if a red light is also an opportunity for you to be thankful? For you to say, God, I'm just going to take this moment, this thing which is stopping me from moving forwards, to pause and be thankful for one thing that you've given me. Maybe it's a moment to go back to a, a moment where you felt God's presence close with you. Maybe it's on a cliff overlooking the sea at sunset. Maybe it's in that moment where you close your eyes and Jesus sits down in front of you and he gazes at you. There's a song and I'm just going to not play it because we haven't got time. There's a song that I've been listening to for the last, I don't know, six months or so by Sam Henshaw. And it's just called Joy. And at the end of it, 
He says, my source of joy has not been from the things I have, but it's been from being in his presence. And the chorus, as it kind of fades out, just says, don't you worry what tomorrow may may bring, because you've got joy, sweet joy. It's the most beautiful song. Um, I don't know, I guess he's somebody who's following Jesus. It's not a worship album. He just put this track on the end of a kind of very normal album. Um, called Untidy Soul. It's a beautiful album. My source of joy has not been from the things I have, but it's been from being in his presence. So I want to give you three practical things that you can do. That's one thing. That was was a freebie, the red light, stop, be thankful. What if you practiced gratitude? Because gratitude and joy are intimately connected. Are you grateful for who Jesus is. That's why we worship every Sunday morning, that we come together. That's why we worship in our life groups, that we give thanks for who Jesus is. There's gratefulness inside of our hearts because gratitude will make you more joyful. What if you took part in the community lunch? What if this unruly feast that we have in this room or in the cafe becomes a source of joy not just for us as a community but we're inviting in the neighborhood and the community around us to experience something of the joy that those meals that we see in all the way through the gospels where Jesus is present at those meals that that's the picture we have of our community lunch that we've got a space to invite people into the presence of Jesus we're designed to to gather together and bond together round meals, round food. And finally, what if you found joy on a regular basis in the presence of King Jesus? What if you truly encountered him? Maybe before you get out of bed, maybe you stop and pause before you go out of the house. Maybe there's moments, or maybe you put alarms on your phone and just have a moment, maybe three times during the day, and just set an alarm just to say, pause. Have a moment just to stop and encounter Jesus. And in that moment, what if you saw yourself as Jesus sees you? What if the gospel, what if the good news of who Jesus is and what he brings, what if that made all the difference? to your daily life. Thanks for tuning in today. We would love to connect with you on a Sunday morning soon. Bless you and have a great week.